Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Amen. I believe that he will. I, I would ask you to uh, always do this, but especially let's stay connected tonight because we're on a journey. We're going somewhere. The book of John chapter 6. I'm going to go toward the end of the chapter and then we'll just back up um, to verse number, to, to the, the beginning verses and uh, We'll just make a journey here together. Amen. The book of John 6 and 64, just follow along with me. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by my, of my father. And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you, or will ye also go away? And verse 68, which we quote so often, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. But I believe the key is not as much in verse 68 as it is in verse 69. Because he joins 68 and 69 together and... Where else would we go? And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And so I want to just kind of pause here a moment to say that by no means should we assume that Simon Peter is um, saying, well, we have nowhere else to go. We're at the end of the rope. And they had not, he had not forgotten how to fish. He had not forgotten how to make a living. He could have gone back in just a matter of a short, short period of time, been doing exactly what he was doing when the Lord found him. So it wasn't so much that they had nowhere to go, but it was verse 69. It is the revelation of who Jesus was. That's what held them. We have nowhere else to go because we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so if, if the Lord will help me tonight for a little while, I want to just speak to you about the quickening of the Spirit. And I, I, I know my title probably is a little bit ahead of where we're going, but if you'll just hold on to that uh, for a little while here tonight, I hope to make sense of that if the Lord will help me. And so as the story begins to unfold in the sixth chapter of John, it is certainly an interesting chapter and an enlightening chapter to say the least and it is surprising in many ways and so for uh, just for the sake of perhaps an illustration or being illustrative tonight 
I want to view chapter 6 as we journey here just through the eyes of humanity. And let's just try as we may and best we can to put ourselves in the skin of the people that are in this story. It's difficult sometimes because we have already read the end of the chapter and we know how it all ends. And so it's difficult sometimes to press ourselves back into the story. But let's try it and see if the Lord will help us because I think it's important to understand what was going on in the minds of these people. Because in truth, mankind hasn't really changed a whole lot. And so we're, we're different names, different faces, but we still battle the same weaknesses and things of that nature. So it's pretty obvious that as we begin reading chapter 6, and you'll be happy to know I'm not going to read it word for word, verse by verse, but you can certainly do that on your own time if you will. But it's a pretty obvious that some of the things that Jesus is saying is upsetting those that are following him. And, and it, we need to understand that Jesus is talking to followers. This is not just a, a group of people that gathered for a specific cause or a reason, but these are people that have been following him. But when, when the Lord begins to speak and begins to deal with a few things, in, instead of him softening his position when people are starting to get upset, he stays the course. Amen. And, and uh, in our natural instinct, if, if somebody's struggling, we just want to try to make things a little easier for them and move anything out of the way that may seem like an obstacle. And if someone finds something difficult, we want to make that easier and pull it down a little bit to the middle shelf. If there's something in the way, so to speak, we want to move it. But Jesus is not doing that at all because he is on a mission. I, I love that. I'm, I'm telling you, I just love the song we just got through singing <laughs> What a powerful, powerful thread of truth is in the lyric of that song. Amen. He came from heaven to earth. He wasn't here for a visit. He came to show the way. Amen. And so Jesus is on a mission. Specifically, he knows what he is doing and where he's going. And so instead of making it easier to believe, it would seem like in our eyes, just a human view, that he's making it more difficult. And uh, earlier in the chapter... When you begin reading chapter 6, you will find that Jesus is healing people and he is feeding the multitudes and many of his followers are there because they have experienced a miracle in their life. And that would connect a lot of people then and it still connects a lot of people today. They've, ex they've had some sort of, of experience with God and that experience is what has been a hook in the jaw, and that is what perhaps served as a catalyst to start them on the journey. But you see, in all of our lives, there comes a decision time. The lows are going to run out. The fish is going to stop. And at some point, we got to say, you know what? I'm just in this thing for the long haul. I am in this thing because I want a relationship with the Lord. And so, uh, and so they, they follow him, and this is the perfect opportunity if we're looking at this through human eyes, for Jesus and his disciple, for his team to sit down and say, listen, we've experienced some growth in the last little while, and um, let's kind of analyze that, and let's figure out why. And somebody in the crowd raises their hand and say, you know what, according to the charts here, it really went up when we started feeding people. That's no different than today. <laughs> it don't even matter what you're feeding if you just feed 
<laughs> and so uh, we believe that Jesus, the key to this is going to be the fishes and the loaves. And so let's just start a miracle ministry of fishes and loaves and man, we're going to be able to keep this thing rolling. But you see, Jesus is on a mission and he understands where he's going. So he says now to the crowd in chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus reads right through this. You, you are not here because of the miraculous. You're not here because of the spiritual. You're here because of those breadcrumbs that are still on your, on your robe. That's why you're here. And, uh, and, and labor not, he said, for meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So you're not here because of the spiritual aspect of things. You're here because there's food in your belly and something gratified your flesh, in other words. You're not here because of the spirit man, but you're here because of the flesh man. And so it seems that the beginning of this, Jesus is pretty gentle. He's healed them. He's fed them. And now he points beyond the satisfaction of their physical need. And he starts now talking about something to deal with their eternal need. And it was at this juncture that the rubber meets the road. It's at this juncture that things begin to change. And so he promises to give them the bread of life. And that bread of life is what he's speaking about. Now, this was not the kind of bread they were thinking about. He's saying one thing, they're thinking something else. And we're going to drop down to verse number 33. The Bible says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then say they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Because they're thinking again, there is about to be another miracle of fishes and loaves, or there's going to be more here for my flesh to enjoy. They still don't understand that he is trying to shift them from a natural point of thinking or a natural way of thinking to a spiritual way of thinking. And so he explains now the bread that he's talking about. So in verse number 35, Jesus says something that really rocks the boat. I mean, incredibly rocks the boat because he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now it's apparent they don't even understand this illustration. As a matter of fact, they were very offended that he would call himself or refer to himself as the bread of life. In verse number 41, the Bible says that they murmured. Well, that's a common word, isn't it? Amen. They murmured. They murmured. Now you would think at this point, you know, Jesus could sense the mood change, maybe maybe dial it back just a little bit. I see where I'm going. It's not a comfortable place. It's not a happy place. So we're going to kind of change things. But that's not what happened at all because Jesus is on a mission. Amen. As a matter of fact, in verse number 41, Jesus repeated that same inflammatory statement. So if they were mad the first time, they're going to be in really bad shape by now because he adds... Now, he doesn't just repeat it, but he adds to it. In verse 48, he says, I am that bread of life. 
And then in verse number 49, not, he's not trying to be inflammatory just for the sake of stirring things up. But he said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they are dead. Your, your fathers had natural bread. That's where your mind is. But you need to remember something. They were eating, it was a miracle, miracle bread, no doubt. But it was natural bread. And he said, look around you. They're all dead. They're not here. And so we're not talking about natural bread. And then when you think things couldn't get any worse, he adds something else. He says in verse number 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man shall eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, I want again, I'm not being unkind, but I just got to keep us forced into this scene he's dealing with a very carnal and a very fleshly crowd amen it's important to understand that the Jews had and have very very strict dietary laws that they live by and so when Jesus said that that the bread he's talking about was actually his flesh it offended them to the nines I mean they are all for the chart Offended now. They, they've been getting a little uncomfortable, but now things have gone completely off the grid. Not to sound crass, in their eyes, what Jesus is referring to is nothing less than just cannibalism. Well, he said, I, my flesh. Well, I mean, if you have no spiritual insight, amen, if you had zero spiritual insight and somebody handed you this scripture and you're just reading this, you're, you're going to be wondering, what in the world is going on? And that is exactly how they were looking. How can he say that we are going to eat his flesh and that is the bread? And so they're beside themselves with this man named Jesus. In verse 52, the Bible says that the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How in the world is this man going to give? Now, this is the same man they were praising earlier because... He has met all of their fleshly needs. They are no longer hungry. And so you would think if, if Jesus was just in the business of just trying to have people around him for the sake of having people, that this would be a great time to back up just a little bit. But that's not at all what happened because Jesus is on a mission. In verse number 53, 54, 55, and 56, I won't read all of them, but this is what is summarized in those verses. He said, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now just extract the spiritual aspect of this out and think about if you were just reading that in a book, you would be thinking, what in the world? Who is this guy? What is he thinking and what is he talking about? Then he says, whosoever or whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. For my flesh is real food. Amen. That's what he's saying. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And we're thinking, my goodness alive, this is the thing that horror flicks are written up. What is this man thinking? I understand that we could be somewhat off-put by this reading. And maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with me <laughs> trying to make it as fleshly as it is. But if we were there and if we had been a part of that culture and if we were in their shoes and in their lives... Then, and only then could we understand the impact of these statements. 
I mean, if I could just if I could just paint a picture in your mind, I mean, Jesus is kind of just thumping them on the chest with everything that he's saying. There's nothing kind and conversational about this. And so he is just poking them and poking them and poking them and poking them. And it was right here that true change began to happen within the hearts of those that were following the Lord. At this point, the Bible says in verse number 60 that the people said to, to one another, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? I mean, who can fathom what this man is talking about? This is a hard saying. And in verse number 66, which was a part of our text, it was the Bible says from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That requires no commentary, does it? They walked no more with him. Now, if there was ever a time for somebody in the camp to call a timeout, you would think this would be the ideal moment. Hang on just a minute. Can we step behind the curtain? Can we talk just a minute, Jesus? I mean, you know, we had a pretty good crowd a while ago. And then some around the peripheral edge started walking away, and now we're all back to just us. Amen. They had lost many people. As a matter of fact, the loyalty of the 12 disciples is also in question. And so Jesus looks to them and says, Will you go away also? What are you going to do? And, and by today's standards, this seems vicious. It seems certainly unnecessary. I mean, somebody needs some people skills here. <laughs> You need to learn how to navigate around a few things here. But Jesus is on a mission because he understands the power and the importance of the kingdom of God. And so he is driving something home. It seems like that he's making things harder, more difficult. But instead of making it easier to come to him, it just seems like more obstacles are being thrown in the way. Now, I believe that Jesus was doing this not for uh, because he is interested in in uh, something superficial, but I believe that he was looking for true disciples. And I don't think that Jesus is looking for anything less than that this evening. I believe the Lord is on a mission to, to urge his body of believers out of shallow water. Amen. We have waited long enough, and the Lord is beckoning for us to come into deeper water. Amen. It's easy for us to want God to meet our needs and provide for us and to do this and do that. But then there comes a time that the Lord is saying, I need something from you. I need you to step up. And, and uh, we have to consider what the real important things are in this story. I believe that God truly desires to do something significant in all of our lives. This is not a pep rally. I believe that with all of my heart that God longs to do something in my life. He longs to do something in your life. I'm talking about significant things in our life. And, and, and it's in truth, it is very easy to live in the shallow water. We can just abide right here. You know, no matter how really hot you are on a summer's day, it doesn't take a plunge into a cool spring to, to cool you off. If you just stay in the shallow water long enough, you'll get cool. And you don't have to go to near the trouble and so some people just want to live in the shallow water of the Lord because they can find enough refreshment that it just seems to soothe and satisfy, get them through this service, on to the next service. But God is wanting to do something significant in us 
building spiritual momentum in our lives, not catapulting from one service to the next, but there is some spiritual momentum in our lives that carries us. And if we are going to have that, if we're going to have that kind of experience with God, then we have to realize that I have got to be quickened by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. It is not programs. I'm thankful for anything that I might mention here, so I'm not trying to cross swords with anyone, but it is not programs, it's not talent, it's not ability, it's not, pro, it's not anything that we can organize or put together to, to sort of satisfy the palate of mankind. What it's really going to take is a spirit impartation into our heart and our lives. We need the quickening of the Spirit. You know what people are going to need in order to have a change point in their life is not just to feel good about something that we've done as a church. What they're going to have to have is an imparting of the Spirit, a quickening of the Spirit of God because it's the Spirit that's going to give life. Amen. So we have to consider what's really important and that important thing, I believe, is that God is wanting to bring significant change. Amen. So if we are going to, to, to see what that is, if we're going to experience that, then we're going to have to keep walking with Him no matter what. Now sometimes the Lord places things in, our, in all of our lives that we're going to have to exercise our faith in order to get through it. Amen. Now, I know that sounds crude, but I believe the Lord doesn't mind offending me, hurting my feelings, if it will push me out of the rut and get me out of the routine and get me where I need to be with Him. Because I believe the Lord will pull us out of that shallow water into the deep water. Amen. I'm not suggesting that what I'm about to say, I'm not suggesting this as a, as a means for you to go out and, and practice, but... Uh, I learned how to swim because I was out with one of my cousins in an orange grove. In the middle of that orange grove, there was a pond, and he picked me up and threw me in the pond. And miraculously, I didn't drown. I, I truly did not know how to swim. But I, I muddled around and fuddled around and somehow made it back to the bank, <laughs> apparently. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the best way I know many of our parents put their children in swimming classes when they're very young, and that's probably one of the greatest investments you can make. It no doubt has saved a lot of children's life and, and helped them. Amen. And, and so there's a good way, but every now and then the Lord just kind of dumps off, off, us off in the deep end because he's trying to pull something greater, some greatness out in us. Amen. I believe that there comes a time that we have got to place our faith, our real trust, and our confidence in the Lord because we're blinded by the storms that we may be walking through and we must have God in our lives and he is trying to give birth to something in our spirit. Amen. Life is filled with spiritual obstacles. If you have walked with the Lord very long at all, you understand that. And I want you to know this, this may not be the most feel-good sermon you've ever heard, but I just got to tell you the truth that God has placed in my heart tonight. Life is filled with spiritual obstacles. Amen. And the, the end result, God is not playing games with us. As I often said, the Lord is not up in heaven flexing his muscles, seeing who all he can crush and who all he can offend and who all he can, can, can just crush underfoot. Not at all. God is trying to make disciples. He is trying to give birth to something in us. Amen. So it's, it's something that God longs to see born 
in all of our heart, stirred for him. In, in, in my years of, of living for the Lord and certainly in years of serving in the ministry, I have met people who have been truly offended at God. Now, I don't mean they're pouting with their feelings hurt. They've really offended with God. And I'm not taking lightly the very sacred ground that I'm walking on tonight. Some of them have grown mad and some of them have turned away. And the reasons may vary, of course, from case to case. But the end result is many of them have walked away from the Lord. They never grew spiritually and they never perhaps grew enough spiritually, I should say, to get into a deeper relationship with God. Maybe it was a multitude of things or any one of a multitude of things that happened to them. Perhaps some sort of unforeseen financial setback or uh, the loss of a loved one or perhaps a failed relationship or failed health. The, answer, uh, the, 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 the list, of course, could go on and on and on. And, and I have met people, and, and, and I understand this. I'm not on some high pinnacle here tonight, but I have met people that said things, how could a good God allow something like this? In some instances, I think I feel and understand what they're saying. I, I, again, I, I understand, and I'm very careful of the ground that I'm walking on here tonight, but I get that. I get that there are sometimes hard questions that are asked when there is no answer seemingly in the universe to be found. Amen. But I have come to know that there are times in, in our walk with God that we are going to, or I will just say of me, I've learned in my walk with God there are times that I'm going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. I, I'm not saying that to stir our emotions, not at all. It is a fact among facts that I'm going to have to walk by faith. I'm going not because of what I see, but I'm going because of what I know in my heart. Amen. Simon Peter said, where else would we go? Besides that, we believe and are convinced. We are convinced that you are the Son of God. Amen. And so because of the revelation that I have in my life of who Jesus is, can I tell you tonight that at some point you just know too much to turn around and walk away. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Sometimes it, it just seems that God is hidden to us. Absolutely. Job left no doubt at all. I mean, Job wasn't speaking in parables. He wasn't using a way out left field illustration and we're trying to solve the riddle. Job just come out and said it. I couldn't find him in front of me. I couldn't find him behind me. I couldn't find him on my right side. I couldn't find him on the left hand. There are times that God seems hidden from us. And it's all right if you don't stand and run around this building right now, but I believe I'm preaching and, and standing in front of people who have felt just that way. Amen, I can't find God anywhere, but you didn't throw in the towel. You just kept walking, not because you were weak, but because you were strong. <laughs> Amen. Not because it was fun, but you knew too much to turn around and walk the other way. I know too much. We've walked through winter seasons of our life when it seemed like everything around us was dead. Even if you can comprehend that it's just for a season, you don't know how long the season is. I get it that everything that comes is going to go. But was it last week, a few days ago, anyway, it rained about 30 hours? 
<laughs> Did you wonder just once in those 30 hours? Is, is it going to ever stop? I don't really want to be misunderstood at all, but I think it's only fair to say that walking for the Lord is not necessarily for the faint of heart. You've got to get something in your heart, something that will keep you. And if we're ever going to get anything significant in our heart, then I'm going to have to have a desire for His Spirit to step into my life and completely take over. Amen. Now, the way of God is often hard, and, and I want to explain that. It's mainly hard because His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's mainly hard because sometimes we don't get it and sometimes we don't agree. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be. Thy will be done. Because you're looking at the big picture. And from what I see, none of this makes sense. From what I see, I'm going backward instead of forward. But I have to acquiesce to his will because you know exactly what you're doing. Amen. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. And so here is a question that everyone in this room Either you have already answered this or you're going to be called on to answer it before too much longer. And that is, that is this. Are you going to give up or go on? Because at some point, we've all had to answer that question. Are we going to give up or are we going to go on? Amen. I don't want to, again, I don't want to be misunderstood, but I believe I'm speaking to people that there have been times seemingly just in a human way of looking at things that it would have been much easier to just stop than to have pressed on it would have been just so easy to exit off the ramp and just say you know enough is enough but just something just held us in when when in the face of full adversity and the winds that we didn't know if we could stand another moment we just kept walking when faced with opportunities to be offended, when faced with opportunities to turn and run, when faced with opportunities to say enough is enough, we have a decision to make. Am I going to keep pressing on or am I going to give? And so that's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't, he hadn't lost his mind. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to be some, all, the, all of a sudden he turned from this loving God into this ruler and dictator. But when he looked at his disciples and said, will you go away also? This was a question not of offense. It was a question to open your eyes, awaken yourself, and open something in your spirit. Decide what you are going to do. I have said so many times in my own personal reading of that story, I am so thankful for Simon Peter. I know there are times he gets his foot in his mouth, and there were times that the Lord had to clean up all the collateral damage behind him, but I'm so thankful that he stood there and he stood on the day of Pentecost. Amen. I'm, Lord, where else would we go? We are convinced. We believe. We know. I've seen too much. Amen. He had a he had a Paul experience that Paul had on the Damascus Road. We know and we are convinced that you are the Christ. Now, the point is that the trials that we face are there for a purpose. Once we walk through this valley, oftentimes we reach a new height in the Lord. That's for sure. 
Amen. No one relishes hard times. That's absolutely sure. But I believe many of us agree with that some of the most memorable experiences we've ever had in the Lord when we were walking through some of the darkest moments of our life. Amen. Nobody wants to sign up to go there, but the Lord will never send us there without sending us home. Something, some souvenir in our heart that we will never forget. I was here. It was there. Someone would say, well, where in the world did you learn that? How did you get that? My, how, where did you get that treasure? How did you get that kind of tenacity? You, you probably wouldn't want to take them to the dark room where you found that. You probably would not want to take them to the mire or to the mud or to the valley where God pressed that into your spirit. Amen. But when we walk there, we get something in the Lord and our faith becomes more than just a list of things we believe. We actually see the hand of God helping us and sustaining us and, and, and we're capable now of things spiritually. I'm not being boastful, but we are, should be capable of things now spiritually that we were not even, uh, uh, wouldn't even dream we could have done a few years ago. Amen. We grow in the Lord and we stand through trials and tests. We never know what could have been achieved unless we press on. All of us are going to face barriers and, and the question is what will we do when we face them? Will we give up or will we go on? When you think about the Lord leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was an exciting time and it was a time full of promise. It was a time of uh, it was a time of absolute incredible blessing because the Lord said to them go to your neighbors and borrow the go- the goodly garments and get the gold and so when they came out I mean they came out with a high hand <laughs> They weren't just being delivered as vagabonds and being delivered as servants and tattered clothing and worn out shoes. But I mean, they came out, they came out with a high hand. They absolutely came out with a high hand. Amen. But it was also a very dangerous and a very difficult time. And they were about to find out what it meant to be a follower of the Lord. They were about to find out. They thought... We want to be free from this slavery. We want to be out from under the heavy hand of Pharaoh's bondage. And in truth, they really did desire to be set free. And I wouldn't make light of that. But they had not considered the true price of freedom. Then, Then Moses comes along and he has this message of redemption and deliverance. But there were going to be some things that they would absolutely have to conquer. The taskmasters increased their workload. There was the Red Sea. There was the murmuring among the people. There was the Sinai wilderness and there was the lack of food. And and if you've read the story, you know it goes on and on and on. Sadly, as they faced these things, they decided, at least some of them decided that slavery wasn't so bad after all. You imagine how Moses must have felt in his heart in Exodus 16 when when they said to him, Would to God we had died in Egypt. I said, well, at least when we were there, we were eating meat and we were sitting around. We had everything that we wanted. How quickly they had forgotten. How quickly they had forgotten. Would to God we had died in Egypt. Wow. Then they faced the challenge of now they wasn't just coming out of Egypt, but they had to go into Canaan. And so they were facing the challenge of entering into this land that God had promised them. And and there was abundance there. They had had the promise of that. They had spies that were there and they saw the grapes and the abundance of that land. 
But there were some things that had to be conquered. And once again, they didn't just rebel coming out, but they rebelled going in. This, the writer of Psalms 106 captures something quite, quite interesting to me. The Bible says in, uh, in Psalms 106, pardon me for not being on the screen, but Psalms 106, 24, and 25, the Bible says that they despised the pleasant land and they did not believe his promise and that they grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So they didn't just struggle coming out, they struggled going in. And in both instances, God was trying to deliver them and bless them. And they said, we despise this land. And we're just going to stay in our tent. And there were houses to be occupied that he said, you did not build. And vineyards you did not plant. There are trees that you're going to eat the fruit of. You had nothing to do with it. All you got to go is do is go conquer that. And it's yours. That sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? Because God has made us some tremendous promises But when we're faced with difficulty, it's so easy to give up on that. So easy. So I suppose it comes to this. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, if you will. I suppose it all comes down to this. If we're ever going to receive the things that God has promised, whether that is individually or corporately, then it's going to take some pressing. Now, I I just feel qualified to say what I'm about to say. That God has made me, personally, some promises. And he is requiring of me some pressing. But as the shepherd of this church, the Lord has made me some promises about this church. And it's going to take some pressing. Not just from me. Amen. But we're all going, I have to cast a vision, but the church has to catch the vision. Because a cast vision that is uncaught is just floating in the wind. And so when Nehemiah went to the people, he said, you do see the distress that we're in. And so what Nehemiah was doing right out of the gate is saying, we got to be in this together. I have left my homeland. I have left the comfort of the kingdom. He had, Nehemiah had one of the most prestigious jobs in all of the kingdom. And he said, I left all of that behind so that I could come here and help. But I need your help. You're going to have to pick up a trowel. You're going to have to pick up some rocks. We're going to have to mix some mortar. We're going to have to do this, and we're going to have to do this together. And so I will say that God has given me promises for me And he is requiring some pressing, but God has given me some promises for this church, but it is going to require some pressing, some leaning in. Amen. We're not just going to morph into something without any intention. It's going to take striving to be what he desires for us to become. We can hear preaching, and that message can be right where we're living. But that message is not going to negate our responsibility to do something intentional about our own spiritual growth. Amen. I want us to stand if we will. There's a, to me, a piercing passage of Scripture. 
in Isaiah 37 and 3. The, the, the end of the verse just simply says this. Children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. You see, everything that needed to happen up to now has happened. And what we got to have now is strength to bring forth. The baby is in the birthing canal. There has to be strength to bring it forth. And so the question is, is do we have individually and do we corporately, collectively have the strength to bring forth what God is trying to give? In Kentucky, there is certainly, I think there's more than these because my wife and I, my son, has, has visited one of these before, I think in Tennessee. But in Kentucky, there is a, a deep water filled cave that goes for many, many miles underground. And this particular cave is inhabited by blind fish. In adapting to the darkness rather than the light, these fish have lost the power of sight. Now, to be clear, they have eyes, but they just can't see. So it's easy for us perhaps to see the typology of the analogy when it comes to mankind and sin in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds. Lest they see. Lest they see. So mankind's love for darkness deprives him of spiritual insight and vision. And in loving the darkness, the power of sight is lost. So here's what we have to understand concerning the blind fish in the cave. And certainly the spiritual application is the same. It would not be enough to just go down into this cavern and shine a light into the darkness. Because these benighted fish have lost their power of vision. And that would have to be born again. And so if the light is going to be beneficial... Sometimes we think when, when someone comes into the church and even if they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that it's just enough to hold up the light. It is not enough. Because it needs to be the quickening of the Spirit that opens the spiritual eyes of man. Amen. I, I really hope this is coming out okay. I think that we should love people and we should befriend people and, and we should do everything within our power to be as warm and hospitable as we possibly can. That would only be right. But let me just say this, that no amount of love, no amount of friendship, no amount of singing, no amount of music, no amount of programs, no amount of organizing efforts, no amount of that is going to dissuade spiritual darkness. It's going to take the imparting, the quickening of the Spirit.
to lead people, to open their eyes. Amen. So we've got to pray and continue to pray. And I, I know I've preached on this a whole lot, but we have to pray for a revelation of the Spirit to be in our midst. Amen. I believe, I believe that God can take the tools that we already have and use them, but we can't just lean on the arm of flesh and think that we're just going to impress people enough out that they'll stop living in sin or impress people enough with this or impress them enough with that that they'll walk in this way. No, we need the quickening of the Spirit, the release of the anointing of God. People need to see Jesus. That's why Peter could say, we can't go anywhere <laughs> because we're already convinced. Amen. We have a revelation of who you are. Amen. Can you join me tonight in prayer? Amen. I don't know if you want to come around the front, if you want to just stand where you are. But we need the power of the Holy Ghost to be. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.